Welcome to Frequent Flyer. Here it is, Friday, November 18, 2022. Here! And, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, as our uh, typical schedule goes, and the winds of change have hit the Philadelphia Flyers pretty hard. They're 2 4 and 1 since the last time we sat down. Both of those wins were uh, Ottawa and St. Louis, and they've gone uh, 4 and 1 since. And uh, the fortunes have changed of the, of the team, so we'll dive into all this stuff. I've got a whole lot of stuff to talk about. For how uneventful this season has been, there's a whole lot to talk about still. It's, a, it's an interesting little uh, dichotomy. But uh, to help me talk about the Philadelphia Flyers this week, we got our co-host back, Manny Benavidez. Manny, how you doing? Oh, we're doing fine, fellas. We're going streaking. Actually, you know what? The Flyers are being dumped on worse than the city of Buffalo right now with snow. But that's okay. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Yeah. Maya Casito's back as well, Mike. How you doing? Well, it's great to be with you guys this evening. And uh, looking forward to going into all the ins and outs of this team and all the points that are just driving us nuts. And, um, you know, you mentioned the winds of change, Dan. You know, that's a great Scorpion song. I don't know if he's into the 80s band Scorpions, but uh, Wind of Change is a fantastic song. So if you get a chance, listen to that and watch some Flyers games. It might make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think this is this streak over the last handful of games or so has probably been some of the most frustrated I've been with the Philadelphia Flyers to this point. And I think it's because... They're playing good hockey. You know, the X's and O's, the basis of what they're doing is very good. It's not like the last couple of years. The last couple of years, you know, you turn on a Flyers game to see if they can lose by double digits again. You know, it, it, was, it was a complete mess with no basis whatsoever. This year they have that. John Tortorella has instilled a very good foundation in this team. A lot of this comes back to the lack of talent. And after the offseason that they had last year when they willingly passed on Gaudreau, Dubincat, both Strome brothers, you know, and the list goes on and on, the, the, it, it's where frustrating, if there was team had a little bit of freaking extra help, they, they could probably be something. And we'll talk more about this as the episode goes on, but I think we'll focus on, on Tortorella and kind of his, uh, you know, reactions to here. I think Mike pulled up some of his quotes from the Boston game, and he's been saying a lot of interesting stuff here after some of these losses. Um, you know, there was the quote during the Blue Jackets game, the we suck quote, <laughs> you know, and uh, after getting kicked by a horse. So, you know, Mike, if you want to take us through some of these, uh, you know, Bruins quotes here, and uh, we can dissect some of this stuff. 
Yeah, so so Torts had another media scrum after the Boston loss. And again, we had some really creative questions by some of the beat writers. We'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> um, but some of the quotes are pretty interesting here. You know, they were trying to get his reaction to things. And, and Torts said, I don't need to explain reactions. We don't create enough offense to give anything away for free. Uh, he went on to say this team doesn't understand what adversity is yet. He was asked about if this is an adverse time. He said, if this is adversity and we can't get through this, there's going to be many situations harder than this. Um, if we had an identity and we were rock solid, we wouldn't be losing games. And this one was actually pretty interesting, too. He said, other teams are better than us, but that doesn't mean we can't beat them. <laughs> 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 you know, it's just these these are quotations, I think, just looking at them from a high level that just speaks. This guy seems kind of exasperated almost. Oh, yeah. And, and I know that that's kind of his intense personality, that he's always going to have his finger on the pulse. He's always going to be pushing and pushing. But I'm getting the sense that he's like kind of getting tired of the losing already. And we're only what, like a quarter of the way into the season. Yeah, he's definitely the the, the look and the, the tone and the tenor of when he spoke to the media after that Boston loss. Uh, you could definitely tell it's wearing on him just a little bit. Um, I don't think it helped that a horse kicked him in the face, uh, you know, earlier, a couple of days earlier. Um, I don't think it helps that uh, the media in particular is asking uh, ridiculous, inane, uh, inconsequential questions. Uh, I think that's getting on him a little bit. I think it's just a perfect storm. And and I think that the reality of the situation is setting in, not just for John Tortorella, but I think for fans in general. I mean, everybody going into the season was saying, this team sucks, this team's terrible, this team's awful. And that's true. But I think that the early wins and the early success basically set the tone for well, they're really trying and they're they're pulling this effort card and they're able to beat teams that uh, are way better than they are because they're out hustling and outworking them. And that's the Philly way. And all of a sudden now the the reactions on on Twitter is not about the effort anymore. It's about this team doesn't have any talent and they can't compete with anybody. And that was basically what anybody who's been watching this team for the last, you know, five years has basically been saying in the offseason is this team has no talent. They passed on Johnny Hockey. They passed on Debrinkat. You know, what are they doing? And we don't know exactly what their plan is. And their plan is we want to just work our ass off and not get a top five pick in this year's draft. So and Torch even said that, on? Manny. He said, we need the guys who can make plays. It's not through lack of effort, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, it's confusing to me because now the the argument has changed from an effort based, you know, uh, argument to now it's we don't have talent. Well, we know that we don't have talent. The entire thing was about the effort level and weeding out the bad from the good. And based on the contracts and the situation these guys are in, I don't know how Fletcher's going to do that. And that's the ultimate situation. And it's the reason why the frustration sets in is because we just sat through the 2022 offseason when he didn't pull the trigger on Goudreau or Debrincat or anybody else. And they're entering the summer of 2023 with, again, very you know, some very big names out there, Larkin, Pasternak, and Tarsenko, a couple other ones as well. I can pull up the full list. But the roster construction and the financial burden that they are under means that there is no easy path to add the outside talent. 
which means you're in the exact same situation as 2022. You have these hurdles to overcome to add Goudreau, and they don't want to do it. Fletcher didn't have the balls to do it. So does he have the balls to go out there and do it again if, say, if Dylan Larkin hits free agency? And that feels like a no right now. And, it, you know, the, there are some Tortorella quotes that he's been saying for a few weeks now where, he, you know, they'll ask, you know, he, he, I don't have enough talent. This team doesn't have enough talent yet, but we're not ready for that. And this team doesn't have enough leadership, but we're not ready for that. And there are, <laughs> it's weird because I feel like Tortorella could make or break this situation. If he storms into Chuck Fletcher's office, at the end of the season and says, this team fucking sucks. We got to get rid of A, B, and C and bring in, you know, X, Y, and Z to, you know, shift the dynamic and bring the talent here. That's good, you know, but there are so many of these little seeds that he's planting. I think he had one last night as well that I uh, quote tweeted on Twitter, so I'll pull it up here. But, you know, so many of these quotes that make it sound like he's willing to play the long game on this one, right? And that that mm-hmm. kind of worries me because I don't think there's time... At the basis of what's happened, like, people like me, all I fucking wanted was a plan. You know, something, some kind of tangible direction that this team is going in. And they're playing better. Tortorella's been very good for this team. The lack of talent fucking sucks. But at the basis of what this team is, I'm fine with it because it's what I've asked. But I don't think that's going to last forever. You know, people are already giving up after four, four or five losses in a row. So... I don't think you can take this through a full season. I don't think you can pull the same shit in the 2023 offseason and expect the same outcome. But uh, the quote from, it's hard to uh, identify who we are until we get some damn players back, John Tortorella said. Uh, Careful about making injury assumptions, uh, assumptions about the club because of the injuries, which basically equates to, you know, we're going to run it back. And Couturier is going to count as an addition, right? We can't assess this team without Couturier and Atkinson. The same fucking bullshit we've been hearing for years now. I I hate that. You know, uh, like, it just feels like the seeds are slowly being planted for this team to kind of run it back last year through quotes like that. So I, I really do believe Tortorella could very well make or break this depending on how frustrated he gets by season's end. Yeah, I agree, Dan. He said, uh, he said, you got to be careful about judging the, the hockey club until we get a few important guys who are out back. And I think I can see where he's coming from. Um, and I'm trying to look at this through Tortorella's lens here. And if you, if you were him and you just got here like a few months ago, I could understand going with that type of perspective because he had nothing to do with what happened here the past six, seven, eight, eight, nine years. Um, that said, the problem is, is that people are evaluating this team, not from when he got here to start with, but a lot of this that's going on management and the roster itself are from eras way previous to him, you know, yeah. even going back to Holmgren almost with a guy like Couturier as your centerpiece and then Hextall and Fletcher from there. And John Tortorella had nothing to do with that stuff. So he's just coming in from a coaching perspective. And I think that, you know, maybe he's a guy that's okay with this or wants to give it a little bit more flex and let things develop. But looking at it from management's level, from the fans level, from any other level, this is a stagnant roster. This is a stagnant group here. Uh, and there's nothing left to really judge. I mean, we have a couple of bottom sixers that are trying to make names for themselves, but other than that, you know, I don't really know what more time is going to do. 
I totally get where you guys are coming from with that. And I do agree that that could be the intention behind what Tortorella is saying. And I, and I mean, there is validity to it. With the injuries and all that, it is tough to know what you have. However, the background to that is this is the bill of goods that we were told last season. Yeah. And the season before that. Mm hmm. And partially the season before that. So you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. At some point, you have to sit there and say and make assessments on these players with what they've done in the limited action and the limited time that they've had and the injuries and all the other circumstances and COVID and everything else. It's beyond time. The people in charge who are paid to be decision makers need to actually make decisions. And that's it. It can't just be, well, we don't know and we can't assess you properly. So here you go, Travis. Here's an eight-year extension. <laughs> you know, like, I know you had a good year last year when everyone else was shit. But uh, here you go, a year ahead of schedule. Here's an eight-year deal. Like, like, I don't understand. And they're making these decisions based on an injury-plagued season. They gave a guy an eight-year extension. The year before that, an injury-plagued season, they gave Sean Couturier an eight-year extension when, you know, they could have waited, and they mm -hmm. didn't. So they're making odd decisions at odd times, and they're basing it on facts and things that they feel is convenient when they want it to be. At the same time, I would like to know uh, that quote from Tortorella. Was that after one of these moronic reporters asked, how did you – what's your assessment – of Joel Farabee's play because that was asked uh, at one of the games. I don't know if it was the Columbus game last week or not. The one that he didn't skip out on in the, uh, by the way, the, the media cried about that one when he didn't show up after the, uh, after the game was over. But uh, I could see Tortorella getting upset with having to answer specific questions every game about what did you think about Provorov's play today? What did you think about Sandheim's play today? What did you think about this person's play today? He he shouldn't have to answer individual player assessments every game. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that only gets player, uh, coaches into trouble, and it only leads to bad things in the locker room. I remember that game in Toronto when James, the, the Leafs lost, and uh, they asked the coach, was it Babcock? And he said, they asked, how, was, how would you say James Reimer played today? And he said, he was okay. And then they asked James Reimer like five minutes later, and he went, just okay, eh? And that was it. James Reimer was done with the Toronto Maple Leafs at that point. He was finished. Like that that question, the way that it was asked, and it was purposely done to get a reaction. And that's what I'm feeling like these reporters now. They're asking, how did you think about Joel Farabee's play? They want Torts to say something. what got something. AV into trouble. When he right, started the assessing the players and telling Carter Hart that he wasn't very good, mm -hmm. and everyone fucking gave up on him soon after that. Bingo. And yeah, I mean, I think... yesterday, the Boston game yesterday, they asked him about the third goal. That was the goal that Provorov got spun around by Zaka. They, that was done purposely. They wanted a quote mm -hmm. on, they wanted to see him jab Provorov. I don't know why. I think there are times that they do that. But I also think that I don't give them enough credit for that. I think a lot of these beat writers, and I'm not going to name names, yeah, we'll but there uh, are there are some individuals here. on this Flyers beat that have very, very little experience in journalism generally. And I think, based upon listening to these press conferences, I'm listening to coaches' press conferences for decades now. I can tell when good questions are asked and when they're not. 
And I think a lot of this stuff is just insipid shit because they don't know what the hell to ask the coach. They'll just they have a menu of a couple of different things and they choose from the menu and ask about player X or player Y when there's no reason to ask about that player because they don't know what to say. They ask about the team's identity all the time. Every single game, they ask John Torella, what's the team's identity? Every freaking game, because that's the flavor of the week that everybody's talking about, yeah. I guess. But he can't answer that every game. He's been here for, what, 18 or 20 games or something? Like, that is something you ask sporadically throughout the season, and that develops the narrative from there. And it, it's just, I'm not... <laughs> I don't know what Torts is going to do with this eventually because the questions are so fucking stupid half the time. Um, other times it may be trying to bait him. I agree with you, Manny, but I don't give him credit 100% of the time for doing that. <laughs> it's John Tortorella is like a master of this stuff, you know, handling the media and, you know, knowing what buttons to push and knowing who to snap at and who not to snap at and just to, to shut the bait questions down immediately. And he did that when he first got hired, too. I don't remember what the quotes were, but I think it was, it was Sam and Fleur. They were trying to bait him with stupid questions, and he shut that shit down immediately. You know, he, he's not there for... He, he's not going to fall into the trap, and he's not going to answer these stupid questions. And, you know, as Mike alluded to, there's a lot of very young and inexperienced people that are given credentials these days because that doesn't mean shit anymore and because of it you know they're <laughs> they, these very inexperienced people are going up against the best in the fucking business you know when it comes to a coach handling their shit so i think it's been uh very interesting and probably not what tortorella needs i can't imagine this guy's blood pressure is great to begin with the, the fucking over exacerbated thing there so he's probably losing his shit to watch this team play whatever it is they're doing on the ice then go answer these softball questions but uh yeah, and it's not all. It's some. There are some folks that do a some. fantastic job asking questions, and I will give credit. I think I think Charlie does a great job with his questions. He's one of the guys, in my opinion, who asks the best questions out of anybody most times. So I appreciate that that sort of integrity and that sort of um, intelligence that goes into that stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that's part of it. And eventually, this thing with Torts is he's a very very smart guy, but at some point he may snap at. At one of these questions. It's going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. And and I'm not sure if that's going to be interpreted as because it's going to be somebody who doesn't have experience asking <laughs> fucking stupid shit. And what's the narrative at that point going to be is, oh, are you just targeting this person because they're not experienced or for other reasons? Or um, is it legitimate, you know? <laughs> and for me, the the best, funniest question yesterday in the Bruins post game was uh, one of the reporters asked something about, well, what do you think about the adversity that this team is facing? <laughs> and he basically <laughs> laughed it off and he's like, really? Adversity? He's like, this team hasn't seen any adversity whatsoever. Like, this is a bad hockey team with no talent. And I'm paraphrasing here, but this is what he's implying. He's like, so we've lost a couple games in a row. That's not adversity. That's called you got to nut up and, and actually get through the, the losing streak and actually change your fate. Like adversity, that's not adversity. Adversity is like when really bad things happen inside that locker room and really bad things happen on the ice, etc. Losing five, six games in a row, whatever. It, it, it happens to everybody, happens to them all. But Scott like, that's Lawton, not adversity. Yeah, yeah, it was ridiculous. And Scott Lawton had some of the most uninspiring quotes you could imagine after the Boston loss. He goes, it's getting frustrating. Big game in Montreal to go 500 on this road trip. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he gets, and he goes, what are you going to do? Go to practice and get ready for the next game. <laughs> like, 
Yep, that's true. We're already in the uh, (laughs) end of season grind. Just gotta get through this one and move on with it. (laughs) I mean, like, all that's true, and, and there's not a lot to say, but man, like... It's just, what's the point of listening to this? What's the point of watching them when it is just wash, rinse, repeat all of the time every season with this? I think the public perception of Tortorella is very interesting as well. You know, the guy was a very polarizing figure when they signed him, you know, and and when they come out of the gate kind of hot, it shuts up a lot of people, right? And then now that the, the luck has run out, they're not overcoming two gold deficits every night anymore, you know, it, you're seeing a lot you're going through Twitter here. There's a lot of people that are starting to, you know, pull the gotcha card on John Tortorella. And I just think the difference there is like generations, you know, when he Tortorella goes out and says things like, I hate analytics. And, you know, he's not jerking off Travis connecting at every available opportunity and not, you know, putting over the certain guys. Like I, I, I have a lot of respect for what Tortorella is and what he does and what he's doing for this team. Like, I don't, I cannot tell you the last time a single person had the impact on the Philadelphia Flyers that fucking John Tortorella has. Maybe like Chris Pronger 15 years ago, whatever it's been. You know, it's been a long fucking time. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's just the, the people that consider him a dinosaur and the analytics lovers. I think they are, are you know, <laughs> getting their licks in at this point. They're really kind of coming out of the woodwork and hating the guy. But, man, I, I think it's hard to overstate what good Tortorella has done for the Flyers thus far. Like, I'm a big fan of what he's doing, and, you know, I think he doesn't quite realize what he got himself into when this season started. We talked about that, you know, last time we sat down. But, uh, you know, overall, I I think this it's going to be, you know, the dividing line. He's a polarizing figure. But uh, so far, I I really do enjoy the guy, and I, I put a tweet out similar to that on Twitter, and a lot of people seem to be in that thought pattern as well. So I think it's just kind of the different generation's approach to uh, how they handle, uh, you know, the coach and what they demand out of things like that. Mm-hmm. So, Manny, you had mentioned the term going streaking, and how long do you think this losing streak can go on for here? I'm I'm getting kind of excited about it, actually. Have you seen well, their upcoming schedule? You want me to <laughs> read it for you for everyone? They got <laughs> Montreal. They got Montreal's next. Calgary, Washington. Pittsburgh, Islanders, Islanders, Tampa, New Jersey, Colorado, Washington, Vegas, Arizona, Colorado, New Jersey, Rangers. And then uh, Columbus, Toronto, and Carolina to wrap up December. So basically you're saying they better beat Montreal? Because other than that, I think the only other one they Montreal and Arizona, Washington looks bad. Washington, Washington looks Arizona, tough. maybe Washington. But other than that, they are in for a long, you know, month long stretch essentially against the top teams in the league. So it could, uh, it could get pretty friggin' ugly here over the next uh, little while. I'm hoping the losing uh, continues because I want them to be demoralized for as long as possible here, so they can just make sure that they get down into the basement. So they'll have a real hard time getting out of there later. Uh, That would be a good thing. (laughs) Well, and I mean, listen, I mean, everybody was having fun watching them get some points here and there in the the beginning of the season and seeing the effort level. And I don't know, that game against Boston, they toughed it out and they hung around for a while. But Boston really could have put should have put them away earlier. Yeah. And they just waited and waited. And credit to the Flyers, they hung around. They have been hanging around. But the thing is, is if they don't get that goal and at least get a little bit of momentum, a little bit of a a shove, once once the opposition scores a goal or two now, 
and especially if Konechny is going to be out for a little while now. I don't. I didn't see him get hurt, but uh, apparently something he happened. He broke his wrist spanking David Pasternak. It's official. He did break his well, wrist. Well, I don't know if it's official yet, but that's sure fucking what looked like happened. He, I don't even. Yeah, do we have a diagnosis? He had his hand or... out like that, and he clipped Pasternak's ass, and I mean, immediately he went for his wrist. So, I would oh. assume that's what happened, whether it's his wrist or his hand. But uh, there's nothing been official yet. But uh, he looked to yeah, be they in pretty anyway. uh, severe pain immediately. So that's what I would assume happened. But. Um, yeah, not great. The only guy that was producing any kind of offense for this team is now gone. So it's going to be even more difficult for these, you know, 12 fucking fourth liners to go out there and uh, produce points every night. <laughs> yeah, and they won't say what the injury is ever. They'll just say upper body, and then day they'll say he's day-to-day. And that'll go on for like a week or two. Then it's week-to-week. It'll go on for like a month or two, and then... Oh, his career is over, JK. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'll have his <laughs> arm amputated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, the amputation comes, and that's the end of that. <laughs> yeah. And Konechny was having, you know, a pretty good start to this season for sure. Yeah. Um, at the same time, he's not going to be your star player that takes you to the promised land. No, you know, there's no way he was going to keep this up long term. He's the best of the bunch and a pretty crappy bunch. Yeah. You know, that's all he is on this team. He's, he's a, a decent supplemental player as we have discussed in the past. But you know, the fact that he was their shining star from the first like 15 to 20 games, I don't think that people should put too, too much stock in that and say, oh, see, he is like a Brad Marchand light. You know, he he's capable of doing all this. Uh, not really. It's not like we're know. seven years into his career and he's never done anything like this before. And uh, it's just he's has hot streaks and he was playing very well. You know, I'll give him credit when credit is due. He's been doing very well. But the, the name of the game for him was always consistency. You know, he's had hot streaks in the past. It's been quite a few years since he's done anything like this. But, you know, it was consistency whether he can do it long term. And granted, you know, the, the lackluster team around him doesn't help in this scenario. But, um, you know, it's just in a perfect world, he's not the top guy on this team. He's not. He's a second line right wing, you know. And if they if this team was built properly and had talent on it, that's where he would ultimately be lying, right? Is is the second line right wing spot. So he's fine, you know, but uh we we shall see how this injury goes, but um, I guess this is probably going to miss at least a little bit of time here. So if you want the Flyers to start losing, you take away the only guy that's doing any good for the team. <laughs> My guess is the losses are <laughs> yeah. probably going to be a little easier to come by from here on out. Mm-hmm. Well, they currently sit at uh, at 19th in the league in the standings, and they're only four points out of a chance at a top three pick so far. Yeah, a lot of teams are still, it's very early, a lot of teams are still bunched together. So even though they're yeah. higher in the standings, it's not uh, not the end of the world yet. Yeah, you got to think that teams like, uh, like Calgary, Minnesota, Ottawa, St. Louis, even maybe Washington are going to at least come out of this a little bit better. Uh, and outpace the Flyers in points over the next couple of weeks here. So I'm counting on at least those those five teams to leapfrog the Flyers pretty quickly, and um, then we can at least get down to that 14-15 range. <laughs> it's, it's a process. It's a process here. <laughs> well, on SiriusXM uh, this afternoon, Steve Coolius's show, uh, he basically talked about – he did a roundup of last night's games, and he basically said, yep, I think the Flyers' magic is done. And they're seventh or eighth in the Metro by the end. Yeah. He's I like, believe it. You, could, you could, you could pick it's them in Columbus. He's like, it's, it's, those are the two. They are seven, eight. 
If you think the Flyers are going to be seven, great. If you think they're going to be eight, great. The other one's going to be Columbus. And after that, the other six uh, teams in the division are ahead of them. Yep. And I got to say that yesterday, watching that Bruins game against the Flyers, I probably in the beginning of the third period, I started wandering around with my attention and I started looking at the out-of-town scoreboard. And I got to say, I was happy when I saw that Columbus was winning and you know, I ended up that uh, St. Louis got two points and all the teams behind us kind of, uh, you know, gained a little ground on the Flyers. And I think that that's that's kind of what the silver lining is in all this. Like if if the team's got to be just a, a cesspool of no talent, then you know what? The effort hopefully is there, but it was good to see Tippett score a goal yesterday. I'm glad that he's, you know, continuing to, to do his thing and and other players as well. But I'm kind of keeping an eye on the out-of-town scoreboard every night. Let's go Canucks tonight. <laughs> beat, beat LA tonight. Come on, two points. Gain ground. Let's go. And, I mean, at the, the beginning of the season, this is what we talked about. You want to see the effort improve. You want to see the foundation of the team improve, but you still want the losses to come, right? You want the good to be planted this year and then for the change to come next year. So, in a sense, it's what we all signed up for. It's just, you know, it's finally happening now, and, you know, I, I guess as fans of this team, it's still frustrating to see the losses. But, you know, the, the the Columbus thing, there is some ultimate irony there in the fact that the Flyers dished Columbus most of the injuries that they're dealing with right now. <laughs> you know, Orinsky, Blankenberg, Bean, Murmurs, Lincolns, they all got hurt during the Flyers games. You know, so the Flyers are going to have to face the team that they destroyed, uh, you know, to uh, to get the worst spot in the, uh, the Metro there. So, karma! That's what you get for injured players. <laughs> And Columbus won both of the games, too. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> but you got to think that the Blue Jackets are going to improve a little bit. They have a couple of provided Lightning really and Vorchek aren't out long term. I mean, you got to assume the offense starts firing sooner or later. Mm-hmm. I don't know what either one of their injuries are off the top of my head, but if they can uh, get at least a little bit healthy. I think their defense is pretty much eradicated. I think the Flyers did a good job of yeah. uh, <laughs> destroying four out of the six of their starting defensemen. But then, you know, if they can get, they that... were having problems on defense the whole season. Well, for the first, whatever, 13, 14 games. Anyway, I was surprised that they were so discombobulated on defense. I don't know if that trip over to Finland really helped them either. I thought that, I thought that was fairly disruptive for them. What a weird time to do that. It was what Nashville and Columbus just went over there in like the middle of the fucking season. <laughs> the other teams at least do it to open the year. Like they would just went over there to Europe, like ten games in or something like that. What a weird, uh, weird hump in the schedule to force those teams to play through. Yeah, Colorado was over there or something. I was watching. I was watching one of those. Games. Yeah, I think it was Columbus and Colorado went over there to Finland. <laughs> Why? Yeah, just I really. Idea, uh, but... Yeah, Ranton and went to Finland, <laughs> and didn't somebody go to the Czech Republic? Oh, oh, that's for the first game of the season. Yeah, was, Nashville. Uh, San, Jose, uh, San Jose Sharks. Yeah, yeah. Sharks and Nashville, Nashville went over there earlier Jose. in the year for their, their like, first game. They usually do that to open the season or in the preseason or something like that. But mm-hmm. they put these guys right in the middle of the first month. Yeah, the first, like, they played, like, a, I don't know, maybe a week and a half games in the States. And then they flew over there for, like, six days and played a back-to-back game uh, at whatever arena was over there. Um, which, yeah, it was just really disruptive uh and for a team that has a lot of new faces and whatnot like the jackets with new coaches and and everything i think that they're uh i think they had problems adapting hmm oh isaac ratcliffe scored look at that turn it around he's finally developing after seven years whatever it's been 
Wow, he's still around, eh? Yeah. He's the most disappointing. Uh, oh, well, maybe Morgan Frost is, but man, Ratcliffe is just fucking useless. Six foot six, 220 pounds, and the guy's soft as a feather and hasn't scored a goal. Well, beyond this one, since I don't even know when the last time was. So. Endlessly disappointing. Speaking of endlessly disappointing, let's talk about Morgan Frost. Uh, Hell of a segue. <laughs> yeah. It is funny that a few years ago, probably five now, this guy was Claude Giroux Jr. He was going to come in and he was going to save the day. He was going to turn the franchise around. And now it's like, well, he completed two passes and won eight of 12 faceoffs. So he's really good. I'm like, fuck, I've had enough. These guys, well, the fucking Bill Meltzer just rock hard over this kid for some reason. And I just, I don't understand what, uh, what the fascination is with this guy. And, you know, well, he had a good effort tonight. Like, that's where we're at. With Frost, where it's like, oh, he wasn't a complete piece of shit out there. This is great. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen pathetic. over the last little while, huh? Absolutely pathetic with Morgan Frost. You know, I think with him, it's it's twofold. One is um, with with the motivation and and the kind of internal desire to play at an aggressive, assertive level at this at this stage in his career. I don't know if he has that in him again. You know, we've been watching the style of play where he's able to get away with skill and finesse when he was a junior player, but you need more than that in the NHL. And it seems that he doesn't really have that in his in his system, uh, in his mentality. Uh, and that's tough to coach into somebody. And on the second layer on that, I think it's it's tough for Flyers players generally to come into this league in this organization because they don't have any top talent. There is no one on the team, even when you have a Couturier and an Atkinson, that the other team is going to be focusing on every night to draw attention off of some of the younger players up and coming that are supposed to fit into roles. And I think that adds a a lot of pressure on these guys. Um, I think it creates problems in terms of lack of direction, um, lack of of high-end players as peers that they can look up to. And the opponent is just able to focus on on no one really. They don't have to focus on anybody because they're playing a glorified B team for the Flyers every single night. Um, and I think that that can stunt the development of players, whether it's defensemen, forwards, whoever. Um, and the only way to get around that is to draft like generational type players, top three, top five picks that pan out and are really stars in this league. Uh, and I think that them not having those stars is hurting guys that are mid-level ceiling players like a Morgan Frost as well. So I, I think it's those two factors that are at play with him in terms of his lack of success right now. That was always the thing with the guy, too, last season, where it was like, well, his play doesn't count if he's not playing with Claude Giroux, right? Because <laughs> there was the only time he would have any success is when he was with a bonafide star. But that's the definition of a star, isn't it? Somebody who makes other players better. Yeah. So that's not what he is. No, right, I mean, he was the beneficiary I mean, it, of a star. I mean, listen, Dan, you and, and Anthony were on that train well before anybody else. And I'll admit, I thought he was going to be a good player. I thought he was going to be a, a good second-line center. You know, a guy good for about 60 points maybe a year. Wow. He's been completely disappointing, and I gave up on that guy two and a half years ago. Like, I, I, I don't understand how we're, we're still entertaining his lack of production. I still don't understand why we're still entertaining 
and and making excuses for the player himself. Um, the, the thing that I do see, and I, and I agree with part of it, is the debate on Twitter, which is nauseating, and I can't even read about it anymore because I'm just disgusted by by the back and forth because it never ends. Is well, Morgan Frost needs players to play with, and yes, that's true. I get that part of it. At the same time, he's also got to make himself noticeable. And granted, the game against the Bruins, I will say, I did notice him quite a few times on the ice. He had a strong end of the Columbus game as well in third period. Okay, and and that's what I want to see. But the thing is, people go overboard and they say, oh, look at that pass. Oh, look at that that zone breakout that he did. And it's like, okay, (laughs) just relax. Just let him play the playthrough. Let's see the entirety of the shift. Let's see if he can build on that the next time out instead of just putting everything under a microscope and seeing it. Like it's the chicken and the egg argument. Like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, Morgan Frost needs players to play with. Well, at the same time, guys like Zach McEwen have worked their tail off and they were bumped up from the fourth line. Allison, you know, other players have been on the power play now. Right. So you sit there, which is crazy that Zach McEwen's on power play too. But anyways, but you sit there and you go, why doesn't Morgan Frost do that? You know, and it's the same old excuse. It's like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yes, he needs players to play with at the same time. When he's put with guys, what has he ever done with that, with those opportunities? The answer is nothing. So we're arguing nothing here. Like until this guy actually does something. What do you? What do people expect at this point to see? If you just throw Frost on the top line with Konechny and Tippett, what's going to happen? Like, there's nothing. There's no ceiling. This guy has never been good at the professional level. I watched every fucking Phantoms game he played from day one to the day he graduated to the NHL. I've probably watched every NHL game he's played. At least ninety nine percent of them at this point. Like. There's never been that level of inspiration. There was a three or four games right before the pandemic hit in the AHL where I thought he was finally kind of getting it together, and then he was never the same after that. Like, I, I just don't... Yeah, great, he completed a pass, he entered the zone cleanly. whoop the fucking do That's what any basic, competent NHL player should be able to do, for fuck's sake. Like, it's you're not just going to wake up one day and he's going to be fucking Wayne Gretzky out there. He's never going to be Claude Giroux Jr. It's never going to happen at this point. I, I just, I, I don't even understand what we're arguing about. It, you can give him more ice time, great, he's just going to be disappointing with more TOI now. Awesome! I, I just... I, Unless you signed Gaudreau and Debrincat this summer and you throw Frost between those two and you can bloat his numbers to some unreasonable extremes, you're never going to see anything out of this guy like that. I just, I don't even understand what the end game with Morgan Frost is anymore beyond some random fucking middle six at best center. Eight by eight. (laughs) That's the end game. Yeah. I think when you start, when you see these, these prognosticators start to praise alleged skill players like a Morgan Frost for achieving unbelievably low benchmarks. You know, (laughs) when you start to see that on a repeated basis, that tends to lend itself the argument that the player is one of those tweener players that is not going to be an NHL top sixer. His skill isn't quite good enough, but he doesn't have the grit and the grind 
and the physicality to play in a in a lower six role. So in that case, you become an AHL player and you are destined for a team like the Phantoms for for your career, which is fine. Um, but your skill set fits to play in a top six role with the Phantoms, not in a top six role with an NHL team. And I think the more and more time that goes on here, the more we're seeing Morgan Frost fit into that type of mold. And, you know, Dan, you've seen a lot of those players with the Phantoms before. You can probably name a you know a fistful of them right now that Frost could probably fit into and say, look, you know, he comes down the Phantoms, he's going to be a top six guy for the next five years and contribute at this level. But he just can't, he, he can't cut it at the NHL level with the Flyers. How Tanner Luzinski may fit into that role now that he's been banished from the main roster. Like, he's going to be probably the top-line center in Lehigh. We need to look at what the lines ended up shaking out to be tonight. Maybe second line, because Nisimov is down there at the moment. But, you know, a, a quad-A guy is Shane Cosm. You know, the guys that are mm-hmm. good enough for the AHL. Maybe yeah, even too good, good for the AHL, but not quite, you know, good enough for the pros. And that's where Morgan Frost falls. Like, I... There are situations, and, you know, he would benefit on being, like, a team on, like, Arizona or Seattle or, you know, Chicago, kind of a team that has all the opportunities in the world to go and just kind of play and develop. And, like, you know, you're playing under Tortorella now who is trying to squeeze the most out of these guys, and I think Frost is one of the guys suffering, you know, the most because of it, and... there's just too much pressure here for him to truly have any role. And I don't know. I I just don't know what we expect anymore. This guy's what a hundred and some games into his career. He's been a pro for four or five years now. He's never going to, he's never going to be anything more than he is. I I just, I'm so over this fucking Morgan Frost debate and how people are still clinging on to, you know, him completing a pass as some kind of groundbreaking achievement here is fucking ridiculous in my eyes. Yeah, and I mean, just to, to go on ahead with what everyone has been saying is the, the thing with the Morgan Frost situation is, I don't know, the, the excuses just pile up. And, and I know that, listen, he, he did have a, a stunt to his development with the injuries, and it was in successive years. And we've seen that with players before. That definitely played a role with Patrick. It's definitely played a role elsewhere with other players. It's not people make it sound like, well, you miss, uh, you know, a year due to injury. Well, that's okay. It'll take you a year to get back to where you were. Not necessarily like you could have been off for so long that you your rhythm is off and you never really get into that groove that you trained your body to be in in order to be a professional hockey player. And the point that I made on Twitter a a few days ago was all these people complain about Morgan Frost and well, he's not playing, uh, you know, in the top line or, or, or with skilled guys. Well, what skilled guys are there on this team? Like, okay. So you're going to play him with what? Farabee. Okay. Great. Great. Fantastic. Not good enough. Like, and that's my point is what he needs and what the flyers can give him are not meshing. Yeah. Nope. So it's not it, it, it. This is a perfect case of whether you like Morgan Frost and believe in him or whether you have given up on him. The ideal thing is it's probably time that he's not on the Flyers anymore, that he should take his lumps and go somewhere else and get a fresh start and try to salvage, uh, you know, a professional career here in the NHL. And And in all honesty, that's what I would hope for him, because I just don't see a way forward here. Uh, with Morgan Frost in a flyer. I just don't. That's what I would assume happens. Either they, they 
throw him in in some kind of trade at a deadline or something like that, or they just don't qualify in the summer. He's still an RFA. Um, but, yeah, I would assume that this was the year for him to put up or shut up, and he's very much shut up. And um, it's just time to move on from Frost. You know, this was a, an experiment. You put a lot of eggs in his basket. You put way too many eggs in his basket, if you ask me. And uh, he backfired miserably. And it's time to move on. And seen enough of this guy. You know, Meltzer will cry himself to sleep, I'm sure. But uh, for the most part, it's just time to move on. is playing on the top line in Lehigh. Lazinski, Forrester, and uh, Jackson Cates on the top line. So, Which is good. Forrester fucking desperately needs somebody like Lazinski to play with right now. So that's good to see. So, yeah, Lazinski, quad A guy. <laughs> see if they I don't even think they're going to be able to trade him at the trade deadline let's say that he has no value in of itself but I think no he could still throw him in with somebody if, if you, if you yeah. carved a trade for Larkin for an example you know, you could throw him in yeah. there and say hey here's a rehab project for you you know, yeah. you can take him on something like that but value by himself he's got practically nothing they're going to get so much backlash by getting rid of him at the trade on people like oh my god another first round pick down the drain yep well, well, again, what distinguishes what makes Morgan Frost different from Kiefer Bellows? Realistically, like smaller, at, if anything, he's a guy that might get picked up on waivers somewhere by somebody. I wouldn't even classify it. That'd as be interesting. Would he clear waivers at this point? See, but like what what makes him different from Tyson Jost that was that was put on waivers today? Like. This well, Joe's had some many success under his dude, though. Yeah, it's not even as good as him. <laughs> but this is what I mean. Like, this is this is what he is right now. This is a guy that you could put on waivers, and it might be like what a seventy percent chance he gets claimed. Maybe less than that, fifty. Uh, yeah, like like fifty, sixty. I wouldn't classify it as you know over ninety. It's not a guarantee. Hell no, no. Yeah, no way, because they'd have to be on the roster and. And that means a team is going to want Frost on the roster now, and that's fairly unlikely. See, like, and that's where we have to come to grips with that's who he is. And I think part of it is we like to look around and 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 say, woe is me, and this is this is the Flyers curse and all that. And, I mean, you see the other big story with a young player this year is with Shane Wright. And if you remember last year, when there were all the hubbub of the draft, I said it might be good to keep him in the OHL for one more year because he missed that whole year of development. And the difference being here is this is a completely different scenario because Shane Wright's playing like six or seven minutes a night. He's if getting he the Dave Hackfall treatment. Yeah. If Hack. he plays. Like he's in the press box just sitting there. And that's God. a guy that needs reps. That's a guy that needs to be playing. Plus an Sitting idiot coach, yeah. Nothing for him. This is not a Morgan Frost situation. Morgan Frost is getting how many minutes a night is he getting? Thirteen? Something like that. Yeah. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, be, yeah, probably around eleven to fifteen in that range. Right. So it's completely different. And he's way older too. Yeah, Frost yes. is gonna be twenty four in the spring. Wow. That mustache that he's trying to grow is just <laughs> revolting. I mean, man, it looks fake. I mean, he doesn't he, he doesn't have a scruffy face at all. He's not, you know, doesn't have that real masculine look. And all of a sudden, he's got this like little pubic hair mustache that's sticking out of, you know, above. <laughs> he's his averaging twelve forty five of ice time this season. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, truth truth be told, I can't really do a, a good mustache either. I I hate facial hair myself. For me, um, beard a little bit but my mustache growing skills are terrible. And overall, I just think they look kind of bad. 
Like Austin Matthews has an awful mustache. Very few people can rock just a mustache. Yeah. Whatever happened to the old Lanny McDonald, you know, that good old yeah. bushy, you know. Sam Bennett's got one like that. Yeah, Bennett. Yeah. I think yeah. Scott Lawton. Somebody got else a had one. one too. I don't remember who else. Oh, somebody, somebody Boston, I think, has a pretty good one going right now. I don't remember, but yeah, yeah. Frost is bad. He needs to frost. You got to buy yourself a razor. I'm not sure if you know how to shave yet, but I can show you. So just contact me. <laughs> and get your face wet first. Use some warm water. Get your face wet. Hope, just get a little shaving cream on there. Just go slow. You just go straight down. That's fine. You know, above the lip down. there. Don't yeah. go side to side. Yeah, no side to side. Don't want to do that. You're going to cut your little baby skin. So you got to be careful on that, Morgan. <laughs> Can you can you imagine if like Oilers fans were like Flyers fans? It's like, oh my God, Niall Yakupov! Did you see that pass that he just did? Instead, it was like, how many points did he get yesterday? Zero. Oh, good, he's shit. How many yeah. points did he get the day before? Zero. Oh, good, he's garbage. Let's get rid of this guy. <laughs> Instead, it's like, oh, look at that pass. Look at Morgan oh, Frost completed the- two passes six games ago. We can't give up on him yet. Look, he no. skated through the neutral zone. It's embarrassing. Like when people I've seen some of those threads you guys are referencing and it is it's embarrassing. You know, if you're one of those folks and it's not many, but a couple of people are really pushing that. And it's I'm just like, how desperate are you? My God. Unbelievably. De- it's analysis. We have to analyze this. And we're doing our job. And it's like, oh, come on now. Like if you've sunk in that low, what are you really analyzing here? I mean, come on. Yeah, if the bar is that low, it's just like, I don't know. I just don't know what the end game is. You fucking, he completed a pass. Man, he's on his way to fucking superstardom. Somebody fucking, yeah. oh, let me pull up that tweet. So I got angry at this one the other day. Somebody compared him to Joe Thornton. Oh, uh, my God. <laughs> I sent it to Anthony because it was fucking ridiculous. Something about. Uh, Future Hall of Famer Joe Thornton. A 1,500 point scorer, Joe Thornton. Yeah. <laughs> Where the hell wow, is it? I, I cannot yeah. see that comparison in any way. No. Uh, okay, so I tweeted uh, on eleven eleven. Can someone just honestly tell me what it is about Morgan Frost that folks are still attached to and defending endlessly? What evidence is there that he's anything more than a complete bust like 95% of the rest of the Hextall picks? Accept it and move on. And uh, this guy uh, replied to me, The thing is, even good players can have bad starts to their careers. Joe Thornton had 20 points in his first 89 games compared to Frost's 26. Do I think he'll be a 100-point player in his prime? No. <laughs> but why is there 41 and 60 points when Joe is out of the question? Like, he pointed to Joe Thornton as something Morgan Frost can be. And I just... Oh! What is wrong with these fucking people? That's, I mean, uh, that's... that's good cherry-picking of stats there. That was a very odd selection of games to select from. 89? Yeah, Why 89? Why didn't he go, you know, 80? Because it destroys the comparison if you start rounding down numbers. Yeah, it's just it's just incomprehensibly stupid. Sorry, whomever whoever mentioned that. I know what you're trying to do, but uh, you know that stat does not really prove anything. You could go through if you want to take that to the extreme. You could push that stat for probably hundreds, thousands of players, and say, well, they all could be Joe Thornton, so we're not sure yet. It's like, where does that get you? Nowhere. It's just God. <laughs> I, 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 He's going to be I Joe had, I, had, I had zero points in zero games. So that I guess I'm comparable to them. I mean, for Morgan Frost, I mean, for him to come out of this. Now, the Flyers, you know, Chuck, Flesh, Chuck Fletcher's 
threshold is very low for players. They don't have to do too much to get extensions for this team. That's We've seen true. over the years. But in reality, you know, if you were to extend this player after this season, you would have to see some serious offensive offensive talent and dynamic play. Like, you know, I want to see him skating around guys with the puck and lacing pucks in the net, making fantastic passes, having fantastic vision on the ice. Like those are the sort of elite level of offensive instincts and plays that, that we're looking for. That's what we want to see this season. We don't need to, and maybe Torch isn't the coach for it either. I'm, I'm not sure, but we need to see that elite wow and pop in the offensive zone from frost to render an extension for him for next year and the following year. And obviously we've seen nothing like that, but that's the level that I think we're all expecting here if we're going to move forward with him. Yeah, there needs to be some kind of something. And it hasn't happened yet. I find it hard to believe it's going to just magically happen as the season goes on here. But, you know, we know Chuck Fletcher, so he'll get a 5x5 five five contract. We can't officially give up on him until he turns 30. So, you know, he'll be back yeah. working for us. That'll be another, what, like a one-year, 875K deal, something like that. Bold of you to assume Fletcher could contain himself for a just one-year deal. <laughs> Rip the Band-Aid. No more. We need to change people on the roster. No, man, we got to run it back. we got to assess what's going on here. He'll play different when Couturier shows up. Yo, and Coots is here, man. Come yeah. on. Wait till Coots gets back. Do it, Mike. Do it. Oh, I need Katerie. I love Katerie. <laughs> the girls on Sisterly Pod said they love that yeah, impression. Yeah. <laughs> Katie was a big fan. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know what sparked that. It's like it's all the Katerie talk over the past probably one, two, three seasons of just these people obsessing over how electric he is and how indispensable he is. It's like they're like almost coddling him. So that's where that voice comes from. Is a it's a voice of coddling. <laughs> can you can you do an impression now of the Frost fans? Morgan. <laughs> Morgan. Oh Morgan. Oh Morgan. I need you, Morgan. Where's Frosty? I need Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> the wor- the worst part too was remember the first game Frost had two goals there was people like rubbing it in mm-hmm. online yep. going like oh yeah people would I told you Dan the Flyer fan this is the year he turned around and then he hasn't fucking scored one in the 17 yeah. since but uh, you know whatever <laughs> this, this Morgan Frost guy he just needs to go away so I'll never have to hear his fucking name again yeah I, I don't think Tortorella likes him honestly. I don't think Torch is a fan. Uh, so that's not going to bode well. But yeah, he'll probably be off the team. They'll bleed him out through the season. You know, they're not going to trade him. And like you mentioned, Dan, he would be a throw in uh, as part of a larger deal. But Fletcher obviously won't make those deals. So that's off the table. And they're not going to trade him one for one for anybody. So they're just going to bleed him out in the end of the season. It'll go away in July and August. And that'll be that of the first round pick. Yeah. You know, and that's. um. What, that's half of the Braden Shen deal right there, right? Yeah, the other half is Joel Farabian. Yori LaTerra! Fucking Yori LaTerra. Fucking Braden Shen. What I wouldn't do. Why was that trade ever made? Fuck it. Whole different rabbit hole to go down here. Too late in the episode to do this, but... (laughs) Yeah, he's way too fun of a player to have on this roster. We don't need any fun, interesting guys. Who needs a physical center that's good on the power play right now? I mean, come on. Low on the wish list. (sighs) <sighs> uh, think, think of the goal songs you could have. 
Snowblind by Black Sabbath. You could have uh, Eric Clapton, cocaine. <laughs> she don't mind, she don't mind, cocaine. That was that Frank Zappa song, too. What's uh, that cocaine addiction? That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Buck Cherry, cocaine. Or is that I'm on a plane with cocaine? Yeah, something like that. Probably, and they could bring Laterra back as a coach, and he was the he was a number one partier. That was his superlative when yeah. um, when he was here. So he could he could show these guys a good time. <laughs> the, the battle between he and John Tortorella as head and assistant coach would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, big Weiss back too. Get Weiss back behind the bench. <laughs> oh, sure, where's Vandevelde at these days? And we're running out a good trio in there. <laughs> oh my God, Vandevelde. Oh God, Jesus. Fire Lappy put in Ben Holmstrom. Hey, we do not desecrate Ben Holmstrom's name on this podcast. <laughs> I like Ben Holmstrom. <sighs> ben Holmstrom and uh, Eric Gustafson, the OG Gustafson. Man, still, still salty about that one. It's been ten years, and I'm still angry they never gave him a real chance. <sighs> How? <laughs> Fuck. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? <laughs> it's just, uh, endless disappointed and mediocre fourth-line players. Nothing ever fucking changes. <sighs> All right, everyone, on that fucking lovely note, we'll uh, call it. We're almost at an hour here. So, we'll call it an episode. Um, if Twitter still exists, you can find me at DanTheFlyerFan, at BrotherlyPuck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of shit up on the website, BrotherlyPuck.com. And uh, other shows, this is going up, what, Sunday? So Shane on Monday, Anthony will be back next week before the holiday. Um, and then we'll have a couple episodes up as well next week. I'm on the, uh, the bonus content. So check it out. And uh, Manny, where can people find you on Twitter? At Manny Benavidez and, of course, BrotherlyPuck.com. And if Twitter does go away, I, I will shed a tear. Uh, knowing that uh, there's a, there's a bunch of uh, of uh, ridiculous uh, Flyers fans that I, I will never get to hear their ridiculous takes anymore. Well, as I'm much so as I hate Flyers that. Twitter, it's the only decent place to talk Flyers on the internet. Fucking Flyers Facebook is just the dumbest fucking group of individuals you'll ever meet in your life, and Flyers Reddit is even worse. So Flyers Twitter, as yep. much as I hate it, I do love it. <laughs> it it is the go best away. of the... Yeah. It is the best of the social media. There was, uh, I remember some time ago, I was like, I was looking at some f- flyers, um, at the Inquirer, and maybe on the on the Tim Panaccio post on like NBC Sports Philly, they'd have like really long threads after articles and stuff, and it was a it was a way you could engage other flyers people. And yeah. I remember participating. I, I mean, I'm talking like eight nine years ago at least, and I participated in some of those, and it's just like hellacious. I mean, you just can't get anywhere with anybody, and. Um, I felt like the conversations were just not worth having, but Twitter, you know, there's some idiots out there, but there's also some really good conversations. So I do appreciate most people that we interact with. So thank you all for being there. <laughs> you want to give your hand while you're at it? There, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter uh, at flyer underscore AF. Uh, I'll see you there. Let's, uh, let's keep rolling with this group. All right, everyone. So, and, uh, enjoy your holidays. I guess I'll talk to you a couple more times uh, before then, but, uh, Unless you're Manny, in which case you don't have, you know, Thanksgiving this week. You just have a regular Thursday coming up. Damn Canadians. But, uh, (laughs) all right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.